You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. This podcast is presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, telling Oklahoma stories through its people since 1927. Follow them online at oklahomahof.com and definitely on Instagram at oklahomahof. Let's get into today's episode. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hoon here, your host, back with another episode down at the Oklahoma Hall of Fame today with Mr. Andy Nelson from Nelson Landscaping. Um, I mean, I've been around you for a while, I guess, seeing you at the car shows and, and showing up, and, and you, always sure. kind of, you always kind of, I mean... Everyone knows when you pull in because you pull in in something that <laughs> generally people want to take photos of and start chasing. Other than Zach showing up in his helicopter, I would put you next. Uh, of course. Still can't believe he did that. Yeah, that's um, awesome. But thanks for coming down. Um, excited to hear your story and dive into it because just from the little bit that I know, it seems like kind of like the real American dream. Sure. Right? You know, yeah, just the way I've experienced it. Yeah, just kind of starting as a boy and wanting to get into cars and knowing that cutting grass is an easy way to make money and now now here we are yeah so for people listening i guess tell us a little bit about kind of what nelson landscaping is right now and then we'll go back to the whole backstory sure so we specialize in design build most of our clientele is just kind of like a high-end residential you know people that are happy where they're at and they're just wanting to make it everything they want front yard backyard you know outdoor living space is real popular right now pergolas cabanas, swimming pools. Um, so basically anything on the outside of the house, uh, we can provide, you know, a turnkey solution for you. A lot of people might do one or two of those things, but we, we can go in and, and literally make, make it all happen. Yeah. So, so back to then to the start growing up, um, growing up here in Edmond, mm-hmm. uh, just, I mean, the, the goal was, uh, you know, to have a good time, but also like I did see that you kind of love, you have a love of football, which I call football, you call it soccer. Right, But you right. have a love of soccer from a young age. Yeah, well, and American football too, but yeah. uh, OU football is one of my biggest passions as well. But yeah, soccer, grew up playing it, you know, at Claygren Elementary School, where I, I went to elementary school, um, I learned about soccer on the playground, and I loved it. And there's a guy older than me at, by grade, and he was just doing all this footwork, and I was so impressed by that, so I just started copying him and realized, man, that's really successful on the soccer field. And so I told my parents I wanted to play, and, uh, yeah, I grew up playing soccer, and um, I still play. So at 39 years old, it's a little more painful to recover, but uh, still play, still love it just as much. And now my six-year-old daughter plays, and she's doing great with it. Yeah, that's a whole other animal of, like, club level and travel. And then, I mean, it's not what I mean, it's it's intense. We're six years old, and we're going to Dallas this weekend (laughs) for a tournament in (laughs) 103-degree temperatures. And it so happens we're playing, like, one of the – two of the top Dallas clubs, but one of the clubs, Solar – is literally the number one club in the country right now Jeez. for their girls team. So, like, we're just going to get in there and probably get smashed. But at the age of six. At the age of six. And I'm as intense and, you know, I, I get as excited and as disappointed in six-year-old soccer as I do in anything. It's crazy. Yeah. But, you know, it's passion. You love it. Well, so was soccer the first love before cars? No, no cars, were, cars. cars were number one from, from the time I could crawl. Yeah. I chased my mom around the house with uh, my Hot Wheels. Anytime I got, you know, I think when I was five years old, I started getting a, a, a little bit of allowance if I did my chores, and all that money went to Hot Wheels. They used to be 50 cents, and I would go buy a couple of them every time I went to Walmart. So yeah. I've got a huge Hot Wheel collection. I still have it. It's in my mom's fiddleback spider-riddled uh, attic that I refuse to go in. So one day I'll have somebody go up there and, and pull them out. But I've got quite a collection. It's, I, I can't wait to see uh, what all I've got, really. Yeah. It'll bring back good memories. Yeah, I think, I mean, I for us, they were like 99 pence, right? And you'd always go, every time I'd go out with my mum shopping or something, be like, can I get a Hot Wheels? Yeah. Like, yeah, sure. And you'd get, yep. you know, you, like I said, you build a collection. And yes. I think Matchbox cars were a little before that. And uh-huh. Like, yeah, it's yeah, just so good yeah, the matchbox. Yeah, it's probably I probably have as many matchbox cars as I do Hot Wheels. Yeah, just so much fun. There. But the thing now is like it's evolved over time, right? And now we have amazing YouTube shows to watch and cars and like I and you know I'm doom scrolling before I go to bed, like 
down all the YouTube channels and there's so many great so much great content out there now compared to what there was when we grew up which is a plus but yeah it was forums forever you yeah. know I spent hours reading forums and getting in debates and yeah. all the different forums of all the different car platforms I loved and then yeah YouTube's really taking over that yeah so then obviously from a young age cars is the thing when do you realize that like I'm going to be able to drive one of these and I actually need money uh, at 12 okay at 12 years old you know I was spending most of my money at that point on baseball cards uh, money I was earning around the house I'd pull weeds for two bucks an hour uh, my parents had a real small advertising company um they they really taught me a lot in that just what hard work and consistency can bring and you know we didn't have a lot of money growing up but i never had a want for anything um but you know i worked so i'd I'd put little packets together for them sample packets to show clients or potential clients of what their coupons look like and uh and then cut the grass my dad paid me minimum wage 425 an hour to to cut our five acre lawn so at 10 i started doing that and i would mow for seven hours straight the only reason i'd get off of it the mower is to fill it with gas and i i would have mowed every day if he had let me but it was once a week no more he didn't want to spend more than 30 bucks a week keeping his five acre property maintained yeah um but yeah so but at 12 um I spent my money on baseball cards and then realized, okay, I've got to save thousands for a car. Um, I've got four summers to do it, so let's get something cool. Yeah. Um, and my first car was 89 Camaros, $3,000 car at the time. Um, so nothing crazy, but uh, it was a really fun car, good experience, and um, but it didn't last long. I wanted more. So uh, shortly after that, it was another summer. I got a 3000 GT and that was a game changer. Yeah. It was like, okay, now we're driving a real sports car. So it was a 92 Burgundy on black, uh, five-speed manual. Uh, I wanted a VR4, but insurance was insane. Yeah. So I had to get the natural aspirated yeah. 222 horsepower hot rod. <laughs> beast. It was a beast. Yeah. So yeah. you grew up with kind of like a pretty good example of entrepreneurship with your parents being entrepreneurs then. I was right? very blessed. You know, my mom and dad, um, I, I couldn't ask for a better upbringing. Um, I'm very fortunate in that regard. Just how they disciplined me. I was, a, you know, I didn't get in a lot of trouble. They'd kick my butt pretty good and I didn't want to disappoint them. Um, and, uh, but I was just busy too. I stayed out of trouble because I was either playing sports or working. Um, but yeah, like, you know, my dad um, worked hard Monday through Thursday and Fridays mornings and then Friday afternoons he was done. And I love that model. I still practice that or I try to. Um, but, you know, I went for years growing my business. I went 70, 80 hour weeks, but I didn't have a family at the time and I had the ability to do that. But um, but yeah, like my mom and dad, I always had a good example of them. They were always working and just stayed disciplined and consistent and they, they ran a good household and a good business. Yeah. I'm sure dad was, I mean, pretty happy to see your work ethic at yeah. that young age. Yeah. And it's, you know, I'm curious where it came from. It's not like he ever like pushed for it. Right. And like with my daughter of six year old, um, I don't think she's going to have my work ethic. You know, it's like I'm seeing, I'm trying to see what comes organically from her, but like getting her to pick up her socks on the floor is just like, <laughs> oh my gosh, dad, are you serious? Um, so we'll see what comes of her. Um, she's very independent and and is a big time leader. So I feel like she's got some really important aspects to run a company. But yeah the the work part and she kind of she can be lazy on the soccer field too at practice you know but she's six so I've got I'm like I don't have a a roadmap for this I don't know what to expect but yeah uh you know at six I I mean I didn't like picking up my room either it hated it so who knows yeah but I mean it seems at 12 you came like obsessed locked in on what you wanted or what you needed to do right so then it was just everything I need is to make some money so I can get a car right obsessed yeah I wish there was a stronger like rational word than obsessed in the dictionary because like I've I've tried to explain my passion for cars and obsessed is just not a strong enough word yeah but 
Yeah, I was obsessed. Yeah. Well, and it's one thing that we see over time. Like, we, we see all these successful business owners and entrepreneurs. Like, it's kind of like, and Gary Keller wrote a book called The One Thing. Like, they just focus on that one thing. Yeah. You know, and we have all, we have plenty of friends who, are, who have done that. You know, Brett's great with real estate. Zach's in commercial real estate. You know, you've got all these guys who, you know, um, just focus on that one thing and, and that was it like it yep. wasn't you know and it clearly works it's it's sometimes people realize that too late right um but it's you great know, at 12 to do that yeah and you know in 2010 i started a performance shop i got tired of sending my car to some local shops i just couldn't get it right and so i was like you know i started some other companies i did that and did a storm shelter company um and I thought, okay, I've got to have multiple businesses to get where I want to get financially. And then, you know, I got spread way too thin and the car shop started struggling. Um, mechanics couldn't get along with the manager. Um, so that was just always a thing. Um, and then, so I ended up dissolving that company and selling it to the mechanics because um, you can't have a shop without mechanics. So I couldn't fire the mechanics even though I should have and kept the manager I had in place. He was a rock star. He's actually in my landscape business now. Um, and we could have found more mechanics. But at the time, I thought, I can't, I've got 20 cars in the shop. I can't do this without the mechanics. And then it was mainly one of them. One of them's gold. Um, he still operates that shop today. I love the guy. But his partner in crime was. <laughs> anyway, I'll leave that for another day. Yeah, but uh, but you realized you you didn't need multiple businesses. You realized you didn't. You just... Once I once I got rid of that, my partner in the storm shelter company was going to go back to being a missionary in Africa. So I'm just like, how do I argue that? Yeah. Like he's helping with sex trafficking. I can't be mad at him. Um, but once I realized, like, okay, like I'm going to get zeroed in on this. This was 2012. Uh, after I dabbled with those companies and, and they had great success f for the short time, but, um, my, my bread and butter landscape business was struggling. Um, you know, and so I was like, I'm just going to get zeroed in focused on this one thing. And I know, well, I'm just going to see if I can get to where I want to get. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and and I've been able to get where I want to be. Right. So is there is there like you know when when you kind of start at twelve and you you know going through high school you obviously have a love for 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 soccer for the sake of the podcast I'll say soccer. Um, <laughs> do you go to do you stop the business and go to college in the meantime, or do you uh, like and does the business pick up back up after you graduate? Like, what's the plan when you're like eighteen in high school thinking? So I was semi burned out in soccer. Mm -hmm. I was playing at a, you know a high level, um, and I had some college some college scholarship offers, and but my business at that point. I mean, when I was fifteen, sixteen, I had employees working um, during the day while I was in school. Yeah, you know, so I had a business that was legitimately running. I was making good money. Um, still in high school so like I didn't I was making good enough money where like I knew I could do this the rest of my life I didn't need college but uh, Oklahoma Christian School in Edmond uh, offered me a scholarship and I knew the coach so and I love the coach and so you know I was like well I'm gonna play soccer you know uh, college sports I know it's demanding but I, I I think I can work around it like I have with high school yeah and so, um, but that summer, that coach stepped away and went into pharmaceutical sales. And the coach they brought in, I didn't want to play for. So I was like, you know what? Forget it. I'm burned out of soccer anyway. I'm not leaving my business um, to go to a school, you know, out of state that mm -hmm. recruited me. Some of the, even at it, like further out of town, hours away or hour away. I'm just going to get locked in on my business. Um, and ended up playing a little bit uh, of soccer and got a scholarship at UCO. It's It was club-level soccer. It's not like NCAA sure. or NAIA, but it was competitive enough to be fun. Um, and they gave me a scholarship. So I, I literally went to UCO just to play soccer. Yeah. Um, and it was it did nothing but get in the way of my business growth. Um, we were really starting to take off. In 2006, I'd bought my friend, well, Zach, you know Zach, mm -hmm. I bought his lawn business because that's where he started. So overnight, I basically doubled um, in size. And so that was about the time I said enough is enough with school. Actually, I quit school probably 2004 or 5. Yeah. But uh, 
anyway, so yeah, that's kind of how that went down. Right, that makes sense because it's like you said, you don't, you know, you're you're playing for the love of the game. You're not playing for a degree to go on to do. Literally went to school to play soccer, and it was fun. You know, we got to get on shuttle buses and uh, go play teams. You know, OU had a men's club team, and uh, OSU did. Um, and you have a state championship, and we'd go to Ada and play, yeah. you know, the te- whatever school was out. I mean, and you eat, you got all of the benefit of playing college soccer, the fun side of it. Right. Um, and we were really good. We won like seven state championships in a row. Um, not again, not that it's like winning a national championship or anything or playing division one soccer I mean, it but helps when you're winning <laughs> yeah it helps yeah, when you're winning it's enjoyable. yeah and you know it wasn't demanding it was two practices a week and yeah. a game or two and it was just fun yeah. and you got all the perks of scholarship and getting fed and all that stuff so. yeah it serve as a pretty good release to get you away from the business as well oh yeah big time yeah but the cars is the well, biggest yeah sure but yeah. yeah soccer i mean yeah, it's always been that yeah. for sure. So, so when you've realized that, like, I'm going back to the business, it's time to grow this. Um, you know, your mid two thousands, like, technology's starting to grow a little bit at that point, isn't it? So, yeah. you know, but at that point, what was the business like at that point? Are you just like mowing grass at that point, or when does like the actual landscaping stuff come in and you start taking on bigger projects? Yeah, so I cut grass. You know, and means of marketing back then was you know, door-to-door flyers, coupons in the mail. Um, and so I'd pay my parents to, um, well, that was up to 2005. My dad passed away in 2005, had some health issues. Um, and so, uh, but before that, you know, mailing out flyers was how you picked up more yards. And so in 2008, I had a really nice property, um, that wanted their house landscaped. This was my, well, actually, if we've got time, I'll tell you about my first landscape. Yeah, it's worthwhile cause. 40 minutes. Yeah. Um, my very first landscape, 2007, is a guy at my church, Mark Walker, and I was cutting his grass, and he said, hey, I want my front yard landscaped. <laughs> I was sitting at Mazio's and Broadway in Edmond on Sunday night. He, we're having this conversation. That was the, the spot after church every Sunday night to go eat. He's like, let's landscape my front yard. And I had no idea what I was doing whatsoever. Um, and so he's like, how much do you think it'll cost? And just kind of in like a almost arrogant aura, I said, you know, you give me 500 bucks, I'll make it look like, yeah, you know, I'll make it look amazing. I had no idea. And 500 bucks, you know, I'm used <laughs> to mowing $25 lawns. So I'm thinking 500 bucks, this is, yeah. this is amazing. So I go to TLC, a local nursery, which is really expensive nursery anyway, but I didn't know any better. Um, and start just picking out stuff, not knowing anything about landscaping. Is it full shade, full sun? You know, what kind of dirt does he have? All this stuff. And uh, I just start picking out stuff I thought was pretty. And I get to the register, and it's like $1,500 worth of crap. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, what have I done? And so I, I take it all back, all this pretty lush, big, bigger stuff, and um, I, I take it all back and start picking out just some crap. Because I'm like, okay, I'll buy $300 worth of plants. Um, so anyway, my girlfriend, who's my wife at the now, um, girlfriend at the time, Kirsten, um, I'm like, babe, I way oversold this thing, and now it's going to not look great. So, like, I can't even afford to pay my guys to do this. I've got to go do it. I was kind of punishing myself, literally. So we went over there. We spent an entire day planning all this stuff, making it, trying to make it look presentable. Um, And at the end of the day, it ended up making, like, $2.81 an hour for the the time we spent and how much extra money I had. So, and a week later it all died. So <laughs> fortunately TLC has got a warranty program, but I took it all back and, and got all new stuff again and, and it all struggled. It never looked good and he was never happy with it. And, uh, it was a huge learning curve. So go back, fast forward a year and I have this client, um, Oakdale Farms neighborhood on a one acre lot, beautiful house, 5,000 square foot, you know, just, but it needed completely, they were redoing everything on the inside of the house. So he said, Andy, can you landscape the front of my house? I was like, yeah, sure. I I was just, at that point I was, I'd say yes to everything. Um, One of the best things I learned over time, you you learn to say yes 
to get to a million dollar revenue company, you say yes to everything. To get to move past that, you learn how to say no. And that was definitely something valuable I learned because I stopped doing that. But yeah, so I told him yes. He's like, what's a budget? And again, I just kind of shot out of the my backside and said 5,000 bucks. And at this point, I'm like, okay, 5,000, I'm going to really do some damage with this. But I didn't realize how vast his front yard beds were. And so I hired, I, I happened to hear about a landscape architect that just did design work. So I hired her out and I went and priced it out and I asked some professionals like what I should charge for this. And it came out to 28,000 bucks. I told the guy 5,000. And uh, so went in there, I was embarrassed, tail between my legs. And I said, man, I know I told you 5,000. This is, this is what we've got, but it's gonna be 28,000 bucks. And he loved the plans. He was like, all right, let's do it. And I just about fell out of his kitchen chair. And so we, I, I went and learned about all this stuff that we were doing. I mean, it's a major undertaking. And in 10 days, we knocked out a $28,000 landscape. And, uh, you know, I made good money on that. And I, it was very eye-opening. And it was that point from 2008 on, I started focusing more and more on design, build, new construction properties or rehabs like that one, remodel. Um, and that became our specialty. 2012 is when I really hit the gas. I started hiring management um, to manage more crews. I still had maintenance at the time, but uh, that's when I started really marketing like 3D landscape design. And uh, you mentioned technology. So like, you know, at this point marketing had changed and it was a lot more online, um, less mailbox. And so I was having to learn all that. It took me years to get that dialed in, but you know, now we've got it pretty well dialed in to where, you know, I can turn up the wick on the marketing if we need more calls or whatever. 2017, I sold all of our maintenance off. Um, and that was the best thing I've ever done. You know, it was, maintenance was like my comfort blanket. You get that revenue in every week, but. Just cutting lawns and. Just cutting grass. And, yeah. Clean, clean so out beds, you know. Weed eating or stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and we had like three in, in-house crews for that full time. Um, how many how many like lawns do you have at that point to, to let go of? Uh, 250. Okay. No, nothing crazy. Um, I was making a good living at that. Um, but what's crazy is even today in 2022, even with inflation like it's been, like yards that I mowed in 1995 for 35 bucks are still being mowed today for 35 bucks. And in 2017, you know, I've got a, you know, at that point I probably had 20 or 30 guys I think it was like 22 guys or something whenever I sold the maintenance. And uh, I had to have workman's comp, payroll, pay payroll tax. All these guys were W-2 employees. Like, I had to be legitimate. Insurance, liability insurance. And there's just no way to make money doing it like that. Mm -hmm. And so I just sold off that portion of my company, and guy ran it into the ground. And um, he was actually a very affluent guy. He didn't need the business. He was just bored. He was older. And I was really planning on selling to somebody that was going to own or operate. Yeah. Like I did. Right. And they would have succeeded. Yeah. And he was just wanting to stay in his care. office, yeah. hire a guy and run it. And it, it just went bad quick. But, uh, you know, fortunately he didn't need it. Um, but yeah. And then, so once I shed all that dead weight, um, our, our lands, landscape design build stuff has really blossomed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if people, and I'll post a link to the social media page because you guys do a great job of kind of doing the before and afters and, and just kind of seeing. And over the last two or three years, I think you've definitely paid more attention to social media because I've seen it elevate and, and kind of got, you know, much more better content. You seem like you have, you know, a handle on that. Yeah, and thanks, it's cool Chad. to see. <laughs> yeah. And, um, because and, and something like the sorority houses you've done and the bigger projects, like people love to see like it from pen and paper design to yeah. you know like coloring design, and then it's like wow, this is the drone shot and it's perfect, it looks yeah, exactly yeah. the same, right? So that's kind of it's and, really neat. I, I yeah. love the process, you know, and I genuinely love, and I think it's important. I love landscaping, like I. I don't know where that came from either. I think that evolved. Like I, I didn't grow up loving landscaping, but I, I think I love the money that it produced. Sure. And then I, once I learned more about it, I became loving the the process of it. And like you know, when I take my family to Walt Disney World, like I'm checking out the the amazing flowers and the plant and the landscaping. 
why my you know girls chasing down Mickey Mouse. You know, yeah. it's like God, look at that you know arrangement over there because it is really truly insane like even if you don't appreciate landscaping you gotta appreciate yeah what they do at walt disney world but knowing how much that stuff costs the millions and millions and millions of dollars they spend mm-hmm. um yeah so i i've just I've, I've gotten to where i love landscaping yeah. for sure even if i've always told my wife like all of these center medians around town are like off the highway like trees that are just like mangled and need trimmed or like beds along a center median that are just outgrown overgrown and nobody wants to the city can't afford to maintain them properly like when i'm retired i'm literally gonna have me and hopefully felipe he's he's my guy i hired him in 2008 it's just gonna be me and him going and trimming stuff and it's like just making the city prettier like i will enjoy that if i'm not pressured and i'm not in a rush to do anything i can sit out there and pull weeds and trim up stuff like all day long i love it so there's some people listening that just think that is like that's i'd rather just chew on oh yeah you know and that's what gives us a job exactly i'm I'm grateful for you people that are like that That, i'm one of those people yeah (laughs) just i don't have the i'm I'm the guy who would put plastic flowers in his flower bed so like they're this they look decent all year round from a distance and when you get close you just pick them out and switch them over (laughs) yes um but talking of kind of like obviously the first love of cars and that's kind of what what you know fuels this this work ethic and this kind of evolving through business yeah. like every day. Um, what's I mean obviously you've answered these questions a million times. You know what's the ones you shouldn't have sold and the ones you wish you'd have bought because now they're worth twenty million dollars or whatever. But kind of it seems like you want to experience as many cars as possible. You don't seem to keep stuff for long. So what I've found a trend. Um, cars that I really love seem to stick around for four or five years. Okay. That's been a consistent thing. And I don't know why it's that time frame. Um, my first love was a, a 99 C5 hardtop Corvette. Um, I poured my blood, sweat, and tears into that car. Had a 1,000 horsepower back when nobody had a 1,000 horsepower. Yeah. The thing was a rocket in 2003, no, 2004. Yeah, now that's just, yeah. I mean, obviously you got Tesla doing that in a sedan um, with crazy torque. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, so what I've, I've kind of, and it's a constant work in progress on trying to see like what I really want in cars. What I've learned probably a decade or so ago is like, don't worry about the car. Like, what do you want out of the car? Like, what are the traits you want in a car? And so, like, the stuff that's important to me is, like, sound. Um, obviously, it's got to be fast. I've been a horsepower junkie from day one. Um, as I've gotten older, luxury and comfort has become a thing. Like, I, you know, like, GT2 RS is a great car. I really wanted one, and I rode in one, and it just about rattled my teeth out. And I'm like, this is not for me. So as I've, as I've gotten older, it's definitely evolved you know it's all subjective this is what i like um but good ride blazing fast preferably doesn't depreciate like a rock um and you know i've just got these different traits and i'll categorize it and score it and you know and then it's like okay well what cars can fulfill this and usually it doesn't usually it requires more than one car to get all that stuff done and another thing i've come to realize too is like as far as like the car I drive the most, like I call it daily drivable exotic, like um, that car for me, it's like, what's the best car I can comfortably afford in the daily drive? Like for me in a perfect world, if I could afford a Chiron, preferably the 300 plus super sport that does 304 miles an hour, like that would be my perfect daily driver. Right. And what's crazy is that, you know, I've driven a Veyron, like that's a car that it doesn't have any sacrifices except for the maintenance cost. And I take that into account too. But like, I want to have the, the most, ex- like the nicest daily drivable exotic I can comfortably afford. So like right, right now it's a 765 LT. I, I did that with the 720 for a long time. Um, for three years put 33,000 miles on it but I think I'll outrun that pretty fast in the 765 it's just it does everything great um and so you know and it's so four or five years it'll probably take that for something to come out that will eclipse that yeah. I would imagine you know the spot it's a spider the top comes down so you know the cars I've had for four or five years were my vet 
um, then I had I kind of had a multitude of vipers. I went through a viper phase. So like that was like a five year phase of multiple vipers. But then the the ultimate viper after experiencing all of that was a 2,000 horsepower twin turbo viper that I raced. You know, is is a Lambo hunter. I was wanting to race the underground racing guys, and had, and I had good success with it. Um, I won some big events and placed second a couple times at some big events. Uh, and that was, you know, I had that car for four or five years. I loved it. Um, and it, it took having a kid to get, get me out of that scene. Um, and I was at Thunder Valley one night on a local event and almost crashed the car twice. One guy ran across the track and almost took me out. And then another time I got out of the groove and was doing 180 miles an hour at the end of the track. And, uh, I thought I hit the wall, but I didn't, but I got out of the groove and took everything in me to get the car under control. But my four month old was sitting there watching, or, I mean, she didn't know what she was watching, but But my my wife and four month old were at the starting line watching all this happen. I got to the pits. The first thing out of my mouth was like, this isn't fun. Yeah. I told my wife. And, you know, she she's a rock star. She supports whatever I want to do with cars. And and uh, she's like, what do you mean? I was like, I mean, I've almost crashed twice tonight. You know, you guys are way more important to me. And so, um, you know, it took me six months to, I toiled knowing I should sell the car. I toiled with it for six months. I finally sold it. I just never looked back. I've never yeah. looked back on that. But um, so that was a car I kept for about five years. And then um, in the meantime, in 2012, I'd bought uh, a Giardo. Um, I kept that car for five years. And again, it was a daily drivable exotic. It it did a lot of things great. Um, but, uh, you know, it had some sacrifices. Cars hadn't evolved quite enough at that point. And that's 2004 technology. So after the Giardo, I went to, uh, I got a twin turbo Giardo, drove that for a year. I was like, this is amazing, but it's got some sacrifices. The ride's kind of rough. I'm kind of tired of Giardos. I'd had a couple of other ones that I bought and sold. Um, so I was like, I really want a twin turbo Huracan. I've had so much fun with a turbo yeah. platform. And I'm a horsepower junkie, so I bought a twin turbo Huracan underground car. It was already done, turnkey. And in a four-month span, I broke the transmission, took four months to fix, and then broke another transmission a thousand miles later. Yeah. And at that point, 2018, they didn't have the, uh, you know, the bill of transmissions dialed in yet. And I was just like, gosh, I know now, like all the emotional and financial uh, strain of a race car, like the Viper. Like I'd had my fill, mm-hmm. and so I was like, I'm not signing up for this on the Huracan. I spent seventy-five thousand dollars repairing the Huracan. You know, I had it for a year. Seventy-five thousand dollars repairs. I only got five months of enjoyability out of it. So I was like, What's something that's pretty dang reliable and it's fast and comfortable serves all my, you know? Because I was gonna, I, I literally daily drove the Twin Turbo Huracan. Yeah, and that was another thing too. I was going. 200 miles an hour on a regular basis at, you know because at that point I was working 70 80 hours a week in my landscape company mm-hmm. working on getting management in place and you know I was just I was driving too fast you know at five o'clock in the morning um, I was doing excessive speeds and one night I was stuck in my three-year-old in the in the bed and I was just like I've got a guilty conscience like one yeah. of these days a tire is gonna let loose or something bad's gonna happen uh, so that was another draw of selling something like that. So anyway, that's when I got the 720. Um, I had it for three years, still have it. Um, and it's the first car I've ever experienced that does everything great. It's exotic. Doors go up, which is cool. It actually makes getting in and out really easy for a six foot two dude that's getting older. Um, it's, re- it's been dead nuts reliable. Uh, it, and it's fast enough. You know, a good gauge for me on what's fast enough is Isabella, my six-year-old, doesn't make her tummy hurt because she'll, she'll say, that makes my tummy hurt. Um, and it does that. I mean, it, you know, I think if a car <clears throat> quarter-mile traps 140 miles an hour or faster, that is enough for me. Yeah. So... Um, 
you know, cars that are slower than that, this don't, even the Ford GT doesn't quite give me that feeling in your stomach, like roller coaster feeling quite as much, but yeah. 720 and then the 765 just turns up the wick. Everything about it is just, it's just insane. Yeah. So, so obviously, I mean, speed is a thing. Um, you ever thought about track racing though? It seems like obviously drag racing is the big thing in the States, but you ever thought about kind of doing the, I don't know, Ferrari challenge or just jumping in a, you know, yeah. like a GT3 or something and getting out there? Yeah. So I actually, in 08, 09, I raced in the VRL Viper Racing League um, when I was hot in the Vipers. And so it was all road, ra- it was a road racing mm-hmm. league. Um, so for a couple of years, I road raced. Um, it kind of started with a local Viper club. We would just go to Hallett and then my competitive nature, I wanted more. So mm-hmm. I started, I, I joined the Viper Racing League and um, we were racing, I was racing all over the Midwest, um, from Iowa to Texas, and actually having pretty good results. They had three amateur levels. I was in the highest amateur level, and then they had the uh, Comp Coupe, you know, the factory race cars that raced. And some of those, like, bigger races would be on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was just a really neat experience. But, you know, whenever the economy collapsed, um, that, vibe, that, that racing league kind of went away. Um, and it never came back. And I realized too, like I had uh, the track up in Iowa. Um, I had gone off the track at like 110 miles an hour. My brake fluid had boiled. And so, um, I experienced what it's like to go off the track at high speeds. And I realized I'm kind of out of my element. Like I, I barely, I had the minimum safety standards. They had, you know, roll hoops installed in the car, not even a roll cage. And I'm out there racing. Like I was in a time trial uh, with comp coupes all around me. Mm -hmm. So like these guys were flying by me in their full roll cage race cars. And so I was, I was definitely out of my league there. And then, you know, I bought, a, a GT3 new in 2015 and I took it up to Hallett. Yeah. Um, road racing, I like it, but it, like, it doesn't call to me. Like, I wanted to get the 7, I, I've put the 720 up at Hallett, had some real, had a great time, ran some good, good times and just on Michelin Pilots, I didn't even put yeah. uh, slicks on or anything, but, and I want to get the 765 up there, but I'll go drive it eight tenths, nine tenths, not really like try to break records or anything but it you know my my most enjoyment comes from it being in the garage and on tuesday morning i can get in it and go go you know go to work in it you know so uh it's got to be simple if it's a lot of work i'm just i'm past that it might call to me you know rez and i have talked about doing the ferrari challenge um, we've got, you, you don't. You can have as many guys do that as you want, right? Yeah, it doesn't like have we, to be just one of you doing it. Right, we could split a race car and, yeah. and split the races, um, and it's something we will do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm positive, but uh, timing wise, I mean, I'm busy. I, yeah. I'm going. Like I said, I'm going to Dallas this weekend for soccer. Like nothing will <laughs> priorities see, are a little different. Yeah, at the moment. nothing will trump. Yeah, my girls sports and we've got another newborn so you know now i'm starting to see why you see like 50 and 60 year old guys doing that ferrari challenge right. it's a big commitment yeah big financial commitment mm-hmm. um and if they care about their families and right. they're just gonna wait till the kids are a little bit older and have you, you seen know. that gentleman's driver's documentary on netflix was it i think it might have been on netflix it might not be anymore it's called the gentleman driver i don't know it's basically it, it follows like five or six le mans endurance teams right nice. and they've got to be amateur some of them are their amateur classes so you got like the team owner basically is the guy who's the amateur racing and then you got two or three pros with him and they just follow it around um around the world it's really really interesting the guys from all over guys from mexico canada yeah that sounds amazing yeah i mean they're, they're big you know big entrepreneurs and very successful business owners but they just love racing so they have a team and it's obviously with le mans and 24 hour nerve ring just happened like it's kind of I see myself really doing cool. some of that and I love traveling as much as I love cars. Yeah. So like to mate those two together and travel the world and do some, I mean, race them on one day, like I couldn't imagine. Right. Uh, to that point, obviously, Ford GT's huge Le Mans history car. Yeah. Um, if people have seen, you know, Ford versus Ferrari, it's probably most non-car people would have seen that or aware of it. Right. Um, like, 
obviously you had a, an 05, 06 yep, Ford 05. GT, but then obviously the newer ones you had to be allocated, for people listening, I'll set some context, you had to be allocated or you had to apply for an allocation and it was what, two 500 slots they, they let out? To, to begin with, yeah. To begin with. So um, I know you've done a recent thing on VinWiki telling that story, but if you want to like not go into as much detail, I guess, as you yeah. did in that story, and I'll link that for people listening, but um, just to sign, you know, for, for time and, and uh, you know, just tell a little bit about kind of like your recent 4GT experience. Yeah, so 2016, they released 500 applications, and then they doubled that, and they, they just took from those 26 applications, um, they picked another 500, so they had 1,000 cars they were going to build. 2018, they decided to build 350 more cars. The demand was huge. I think 20,000 applicants were turned in. Um, and so I was in that, uh, I turned in an application, the 2016 got declined in 2018. I, I worked a little harder on my application, did a video and, uh, and crazy got selected out of 350 people to get one. So, um, and then, yeah, you work with a Ford concierge person to, um, spec the car and, you know, get delivery and all that stuff. You work with them side by side during that process it was really a cool experience yeah so it finally shows up mm -hmm. um and for people listening i'll link that video below that you explain the whole story because it's fantastic um you know because it's basically like winning the lottery getting this car for you know it doubles the price in value once you know and you can't sell it within two years and all that stuff but what i'm interested interested in is taking that car to monterey car week like you know, because a lot of people, the one thing that comes across in that with chatting and knowing you is that you drive all of your cars. I mean, not many people can say they put 30,000 miles on a McLaren, yeah. right? Like, so you drive a lot of your cars, but shipping it to another state and then driving it out there, especially for car week, must have been so special. It probably was the highest high, the best car experience I've ever had. The, the drive... From L.A. to Monterey is about 400-something miles up the PCH Coastal Highway. So the view is always epic. These are long, sweeping turns. Um, it's just perfect for the 4GT. But, yeah, and, and being in Monterey for the week, you know, you get all the red carpet treatment um, that you get in hypercars, um, you know. And I don't necessarily call the 4GT a hypercar some people do some people don't I, I'm torn it's um, it's special enough it's really incredible what Ford did being a one-off um, you know car it's incredible how good of a job they did on it but um, anyway but it, it's just a neat experience to go out there and you know they they pull the tape back for you you, you can park in this spot you know and um so that's my first taste of that because yeah. you know you you go out there in a 765 or 720 you know there's a hundred of them or yeah. 200 of them and every other mid-level supercar like that um and it's not to knock those cars they're amazing i mean the 765 is my favorite car i've ever had but you got to monterey where there's 250 gtos and mclaren f1s yeah you know so and that's not the purpose for me to have the 4 gt i mean but it is a perk i'll be honest like it's just a, a neat perk to to get and, and that's what allowed me most likely to get the 765 is like having a car like that because whenever you apply for a, a specialty car like they're like okay what else is in your collection yeah and saying that you got allocated a 4gt you didn't just go spend the million yeah 1.2 million bucks to get one you you were allocated like oh well we'll take you serious then right and it's allowed me to order some other some cool ferraris i've got coming and you know, all that's timing wise. It's not like I'm going to just start buying. Sure. You know, I'm not. I'm not going to have a thirty million dollar car collection anytime soon. Like some of these YouTube guys. Um, that's really entertaining to watch. Like the Hamilton collection and the Triple, Triple F. F is nuts, Dude, it's, right? It's like, just bonkers. Yeah. Do I want that? Yeah. Like who doesn't? I, I've, right? I've jokingly said, which I don't really play the lottery, but if I won a hundred million dollars in the lottery, I could spend it in twenty four hours. Uh -huh. I probably would have ninety of it spent in twenty four hours. The yeah. good thing is most of those cars just go up in value, but. Um, again, I'm obsessed with cars, and if I could daily drive a Chiron, that's what I'd that that would be my preference. Yeah, I haven't driven one, so I can't know that for sure. But I'm assuming based on how good the Veyron was, the Chiron would just be perfect. But uh, I like a little bit of luxury and comfort in my yeah. exotics. Would uh, would you ever kind of? I mean, obviously with young family, it's kind of holds you back a little bit. But future plans? I mean, you obviously taking the Ford GT to to California. Um, 
plans to do any other kind of like would you ship it halfway around the world and do a European tour like oh, is yeah. that something that's like planned or, or take delivery in, at the Porsche dealership of something and well I've got plans and VinWiki's got another uh, we did several takes on yeah. different videos on VinWiki but one of them is going to be about driving it on all 50 states um, so I've got to decide like that's a big commitment um, would I you really, do Gumball? Man, and this is no offense to the rally stuff, like the gumball type rallies, but like, I don't drink, I don't party, like I'm a pretty laid back guy and I'm an introvert. Like, I, will, I enjoy talking cars. Right. I feel like I've seen some of the gumball, the gumball rally came through here and, you know, a lot of those dudes just like to party sure. and that's where they go. And they have the money to buy and nice cars. Yeah, and they've yeah. got the money for for the flashy cars. I want yeah. it as loud and as flashy as it could right. possibly be. Yeah. And that's a lot of those guys, you know, uh, it's no offense. Like, that's great. I'm glad they're able to enjoy themselves, and that's how they enjoy themselves. But, like, that scene is not really my thing. Gotcha. So I, I like going with half a dozen of our buddies local and going to small towns and back yeah. roads. And, you know, I, I'm in it to drive the car. Yeah. And I don't have to have the party scene to to enjoy that. But, you know, will I do it? Sure, I'll probably try to experience it. You know, um, Ed Bowley and Vinwick, he was talking to me about, you know, the rally they're doing. And, you know, it sounds fun. If you're if I'm around authentic car guys, yeah. then, yeah, like, be, and that's the beauty of Monterey. Like, you are engulfed around true car enthusiasts um, for an entire week. It's just euphoria. But yeah, like I really genuinely do just out of principle want to put the 4GT in all 50 states. And, but it's just, it's a huge logistical thing. Yeah. Um, you're, not, you're not driving here from Oklahoma for most of them, right? You can yeah, ship, it, and ship it, it there and then do a road trip and ship it No, back. literally leave my house. Oh, that's what you want to do? And drive through every state. You might have back surgery after that. Yeah. But I wouldn't do it all in one fell swoop. Sure. I'd do it in four or five day swaths. You know, have different friends join me for different legs of it. And I would have to find places to keep the car, you yeah. know, for dealerships or some YouTubers I've become friends with or, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. But then the car might sit for five or six or eight weeks, like right. in between soccer tournaments and yeah. uh, parent-teacher conferences and all that stuff and running businesses. Right. So, um, you know... I, and a huge hit on the value of the car, putting yeah. ten or twelve thousand miles on it. So, but for me, it's all about the experience. I really, that's the important piece of it. Yeah. So, uh, that is my desire is to do it. It's just a matter of like, can I feasibly do it? Right. So. Yeah. What What is like to that point? Then what's the What's the states that are just like, oh, man, the railroads out there look so good. I would love to, you know, if I'm going to do one, like I want to go out there and. Well, I've got to experience California. I definitely want to do that again. Yeah. Um, I'm going back out there this year again, but my plan as of now is to drive the 4GT out there. Yeah. So, but you're not going to have a road trip with anybody? Yeah. Reza probably will jump in with me. I think he's going to ship his P1 out and maybe ride with me. <clears throat> we haven't really talked details yet. Another buddy of mine's going out there. He would probably be willing to jump in with me. Yeah. Part of me likes to be alone on some of it too. Yeah. Like, I don't want to, you know, I, I, you know, would only have someone in there I really enjoy talking to, of course, but like sometimes it's just nice to be quiet. Right. I enjoy quiet time. So like, um, but yeah, like, and a lot of the times when you're in the middle of an experience like that, like driving that through to California or whatever cool stuff I've done with cars, like my experience having the car in Beverly Hills, driving up the PCH, like looking back on it, it's even better then like reflecting on it seeing the pictures i enjoyed even more than when you're in it so yeah. like part of me even if it's a chore to drive at 50 states like just the memories i would make yeah because you could make an epic kind of movie or book or whatever yeah. of like wow this is all the places i've taken like and it just becomes an epic coffee table book right yeah, that you and sit like, with forever i like doing unique things not necessarily things that other people can't do but maybe people won't do yeah and like I, I feel like there's a good chance I'd be the only guy that's ever done that in all 50 states in a, yeah. in a million dollar Ford GT. Like I think it'd just be a neat thing to be able to put a stamp on. Yeah. Final question, because I know you got to go. What is um, 
I mean, what is the next one? What are you chasing right now? What are you going to be close to? Like, what is, um, you know, because as car guys, mine never stops and cars yep. keep coming out. So, well, I've been chasing a Veyron or a P1 for a while, and I'm starting to realize that the desire for reliability is too great. Sure. And like, just seeing Reza, he won't mind me saying it, but like his P1 was in the shop for some very minor things after car week last year. Yeah. And it was in the shop for five or six months. And fortunately he's got other cars. I would have other cars, but like, I just don't think, and as hard as I am on cars, like I just drive them hard. Like, I think I would, exp if I bought a 12 year old Veyron, I think I would expose all of the 12 year old parts. And yeah. then you throw in the expense on top of the downtime. So I've just, this is recent, like I've experiencing the four GT and like new and reliable. Like I think I'm pivoting towards like, instead of going to the F40 or the P1 or the Veyron, like cars that mm -hmm. whenever I, um, they came out, they were like the ultimate, ultimate dream cars. And I've pined for them ever since. Yeah. I think on the big cars, I'm going to start, you know, looking at what's coming out in the future. So like the P1 replacement is something I'm definitely got my eye on and I'm working on building a relationship with my McLaren dealer on that. The Valhalla, uh, Aston Martin, I saw that car week last year in person. It might be the most breathtaking car I've ever seen in person. Uh, I mean, I'm just smitten by it. I just saw the videos of with a race car going around. Mont yeah, the Valkyrie. Going around, yeah, going around um, Laguna Seca, which is like, I watched Smee's video on it this morning. It's like, wow. Yeah, <laughs> and so the Aston, the Valhalla is like a streetable, more streetable version of sure. that, like so that you could really put some miles on. And it's, you know, it's sub million bucks based MSRP. So I feel right. like... The, the thing is right now with that car specifically, I was going to put a pause on it last year at car week, but Aston Martin's in a really big funk yeah. financially. So I didn't, you don't know if you're going to get that money back or yeah. a car. <laughs> and they wanted $200,000 down yeah. and to finance them building it. If right? it was exactly. Yeah. And if it was like six months or a year or 18 months guaranteed, but like the Valkyrie has been a five year yeah, thing and they're yeah. just getting the cars out. So the Valhalla, I'm not parking 200,000. I'm a blue collar dude from Oklahoma. Yeah. Like I don't part $200,000 on a car I might see in five years. Yeah. So, but the Valhalla and the P1 replacement are my two like big cars cool. that, you know, hopefully we'll be in Oklahoma one day. Yeah. Love to see it. Well, mate, I know we got to run, but thanks so much for spending some time telling some car stories. And I'll have to do it again whenever you get the next new one. And uh, for people listening, I'll post a link to Andy's lawn business, not lawn business, landscaping business website. <laughs> uh, one of the other things we didn't mention is the home mag that you guys send out, which is really cool. So people get that. I get that every, every month or whatever yeah. it is, uh, which is nice to see. And also um, Wales is in the world cup group with the USA and England and Iran. So we're going to have to Big talk time. some, talk some football Big first time. time in 58 years Wales has made the World Cup so I am wow. pumped Gareth Bale is going to be in the World Cup and I cannot wait Big time. Uh, so I'll have to talk some uh, some soccer when that comes around I think in the October November, November. November. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so thanks so much mate really appreciate it and for people listening we'll catch you next episode cheers this podcast is presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame telling Oklahoma stories through its people since 1927 Follow them online at oklahomahof.com and definitely on Instagram at oklahomahof. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.